Welcome to Identity Matters Worldview Institute. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney. I will be your teacher today. We are on number five in our Revelation series. It's called the Four Quadrants. And of course, the four quadrants are referring to the old city of Jerusalem being broken up into four quads. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Let's watch our first video. It's called Men in Warfare. Number five in our series, the four quadrants of war is what we're titling this. Those primary four groups that we're going to be referencing today are the Muslims, the Catholic, the Armenian, and Jewish religions. It tells us in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, that this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog chief prince of Meshech and Tabul, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army. Yes, there is going to be a great war here in the end times. Most people reference this as the Battle of Armageddon. Before we talk about the battle, we do need to take a look at some of the details of the characters within this passage. But allow me to read to you first the full passage that we will be teaching from today. It says in Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 through 6, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog of the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshech and Tabul. Prophesy against him, saying, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tabul. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army. Your horsemen fully armed, 
and a great horde of large and small shields, all of them banishing their swords. Persia, Kush, Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also Gomer with all of its troops, and Beth Togomara from the far north with its troops. The many nations with you. I think it would be a good time for us to reveal some of the up-to-date news and history in regarding to this battle of Gog on Magog. So let's watch a little bit about some of the up-to-date news regarding the U.S. troop withdrawal from the Turkish invasion. This comes to us through CBN News. The gentleman that they're interviewing is Eric Stackelbeck. He is host to the television show The Watchman, hosted by TBN and Fox Business Network. Enjoy! Stackelbeck is the host of The Watchman Show, airing weekly on TBN and the Fox Business Network. And Eric, it's good to see you again. Good to be with you, John. Eric, we know that you were in Iraq with the Kurds last month. How do you see all of this? Is America abandoning its allies by withdrawing our forces in Syria? Yeah, John, I think there's no other way but to see it that way, that we have abandoned the Kurds in Syria. And John, think about it. Look, the Kurds lost at least 10,000 fighters fighting against ISIS, not only on their behalf, but on our behalf, with the help, of course, of American air support. But the Kurds were the tip of the spear on the ground fighting against ISIS, who is a obviously a sworn enemy of America. As you mentioned, John, I was with the Iraqi Kurds just last month. That's kind of their cousins across the border there in Syria who are being assaulted right now by the forces of Turkey. But the Iraqi Kurds made clear time and time again that, hey, we want to grow this alliance with America. They were very appreciative of President Trump and his commitment to crushing that ISIS caliphate. Now, John, getting text messages and emails from the Kurds I was with just about four weeks ago, the Peshmerga, the Kurdish fighters there saying, what is happening? What happened to America? Why are you abandoning us? So I think it sets a bad precedent, John, not only for our allies in the region, like the Kurds, like Israel also, but it emboldens our enemies like Russia, like Bashar al-Assad, like the Iranians, like ISIS. And yes, although he is a NATO member, Recep Erdogan, the president of Turkey, is not a friend of the United States. Uh, in Syria, of course, you kind of mentioned this, is working with Russia to protect the Kurds there behind all of us. Eric, talk about how this really, this, this potentially fuels a much broader Middle East war. Yeah, Jenna, I think it's a great question. I think it comes down to Iran, to be honest with you, because those U.S. troops there, about a thousand in all, about 50 or so near the Turkish border, but about a thousand in all in Syria. President Trump announced just last night he's withdrawing all U.S. troops from Syria. What they did, Jenna, was they kind of provided a buffer between Iran and the Mediterranean, because the Iranian regime's goal is to establish a land corridor stretching from Iran through Iraq, through Syria, through Lebanon, onto the Mediterranean, guess where, at Israel's doorstep. Now, with no U.S. troop presence there, the Iranians have free reign. They can form that corridor, which will allow them to further bolster their presence uh, on Israel's northern borders, not only in Lebanon, but in Syria. And there is this alliance budding as well between Turkey, Iran, 
and Russia, something to keep an eye on for sure. Eric, I, I know from working with you for years and also from watching your show, you see things through a biblical lens. Uh, is, there, is this in any way fulfilling biblical prophecy here? Well, a lot of people, John, are pointing to Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog. They see that alliance shaping up between Russia uh, and Iran and Turkey, three nations that seem to be mentioned. Uh, we all have different interpretations of biblical prophecy, but Turkey, Russia, Iran seem to be mentioned in that Gog and Magog coalition force, John. And it's so interesting because these nations have historically not been allies. They've actually fought wars against each other in the past. Now, in these interesting times in which we live, we see Russia, Iran, and Turkey coming together at Israel's doorstep. All right, Eric Stackelbeck, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Eric. Let's take a look at some of those details and the characters that are in our passage for today. If you look to the left there, you'll see an old, old map of the world as known to the Hebrews, according to the Mosaic account. And if you notice that little red box there that says the battle, with the arrow pointed to where the final battle of Armageddon is going to be taking place. It's on the outskirts of Israel. In this old map, you're going to see three primary areas that... The Hebrew people divide the map up into. The north is considered the descendants of Japheth. The south are considered the descendants of Ham. And of course, Shem, his descendants, are the Hebrew people of Israel. Here's our players of Ezekiel 38. In that passage where it is referencing the Son of Man, that is Jesus, of course. He's the one that picks the fight, starts the war. The second character that's being introduced into this passage is Meshach. In other words, known as Gog, the son of Japheth. His name means dark leader. Our third character in this passage is Gog, Satan, the prince of darkness. During this time, whenever this battle is going to occur, Satan will represent Gog, In the modern times, whenever that battle does occur, he will be the Prince of Darkness. Our next character is Tabul, which means Magog, the son of Japheth. When the passage talks about the land of Magog, this is the land of the son of Japheth and all of his descendants. We'll speak more about how all that pulls together in the final political and religious war that's going to take place. In modern times, during that time, Magog is considered the apocalyptic territory or land or domain. According to Hebrew history, it is located in first Lydia, which is now Turkey. This passage also references Persia. Persia is located in southwestern Asia. It's today called the Iran Plateau. The next character that is referenced in this passage is Cush. Cush was the eldest son of Ham. Cush represents Egypt in North Africa. Our next character in this passage is Put, the third son of Ham. 
representing the settlement of Libya in North Africa. Our next character is Gomer, the eldest son of Japheth. History tells us that Russia was built upon the descendants of this particular son of Japheth. And finally, our last character is Beth Togarmaya, which is the collective sons of Japheth, and they settled in Turkey. Those of us who love studying eschatology can see modern world crisis taking place as a result of what is being revealed in Ezekiel chapter 38. We have Jesus, of course, who is our primary leader who picks this final war to end all things. We have Gog, descendants coming from him, finally settling in Satan as being the prince of darkness, the Gog of that time. Then we have Tabul, Magog, which is the land that the descendants of Japheth settled in. Magog being the area of Turkey, so we need to watch Turkey very closely. Persia being Iran, so we need to be watching Iran very closely. Kush being Egypt, we need to be looking at this small country that is going to be partnering and joining forces with Libya, Put, and Russia, and Turkey. These become our main players in our end times discussion. As the scripture tells us that the north will come down and push against Israel, and the south will come up pushing against Israel, it leaves us with the understanding there's going to be some kind of allegiance and alliance with the north and the south to come in and attempt to crush Israel. Last week we talked about the seven characters that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And as it turns out, six of those characters are going to turn on God's people, God's country, and the holy city of Jerusalem. So these six of the seven characters will join with Satan in his last push against Israel. This force will include many different nations, but will be primarily led by the Islamic nations. Who are the descendants of Ishmael? So our battle is really between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael claiming his rights of father Abraham, and Isaac claiming his rights of his father Abraham. And these two characters are at the basis, they are the foundation of this final war that is going to take place. When the king of the south, Egypt, joins with the king of the north, Russia, the change in events will become more horrific than anyone could ever imagine. The beast and the false prophet or the false messiah will be confederates. Of course, confederates means one or two or more people, groups, nations that will form an alliance for a common purpose. They will work as a team of perfection. It will give the appearance of a civil war, but it will be a holy war that will ultimately be empowered by the false prophet under the rule of Satan. This is very critical for us to understand as we watch 
the Middle East news on a daily basis. We need to take just a few moments and talk about the four quadrants was divided into. Old Jerusalem was Old Jerusalem and it had been Old Jerusalem for over 3,000 years. This is the holy hill, so to speak. The Hebrew people had full control, although we must remember the endless battles they have been a part of in trying to protect this holy place. But Old Jerusalem is this holy place for the descendants of Isaac. Now, interesting as it is, the leader, during the time that Jesus was our leader, Muhammad, evidently received his vision upon a rock that is on this holy hill. This rock was the exact same rock that Isaac was in the process of being sacrificed by his his father and being obedient to God the Father, the father of Abraham. So this place, this rock, became a holy place for the descendants of Ishmael. And of course, the old Jerusalem was the holy hill for the descendants of Isaac. And there we have our war. But why is the old city divided up into four quadrants? It's a great question, actually. There are very few people today that study the Bible that take the time to study the four quadrants of the old Jerusalem. There is a wall that is built all the way around Old Jerusalem, and you would think that that wall would have been built by the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. It was not. It was built by a Ottoman emperor. And he built this wall around Jerusalem, one as a protection to the two primary groups that were taking ownership of it, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, And two, he wanted to have full control over who went in and who came out of this walled city. There were other groups that were staking claim to some of the places within Old Jerusalem. The Muslims were given this quarter, even though it is much larger than a quarter of the property. The second group was the Christian quarter, which is really not so Christian in respects of authentic Christianity. The Muslim quarter was owned by the Muslim caliph. The Christian quarter, which is usually called by locals the Holy Sepulcher, was owned and is owned by the Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, and there are many apostolic, quote-unquote, Christians. So it became known as the Christian quarter, even though this was not a friendly group to the born-again type Christians that are spoken of in the Bible. The third quarter is called the Arminian Quarter, and the Arminian Quarter is really known by locals there and those who have done their homework in regard to the Arminian people. This quarter is owned by the Jordanians which, by the way, they are required to give equal time to the Koran and the Bible. This is a very dangerous group, actually. Even though the Armenians would call themselves Christians, 
There is such a pluralistic attitude amongst the Armenian quarter in regard to a Christianized Muslim foundation. We certainly cannot section this quarter off as a Christian quarter. And of course, the final one is the most important, that's the Jews, owned by the bloodline Orthodox Jews themselves. And they even include us, authentic, grafted-in Christians, those of us who claim to be born again and grafted into the body of Christ, who, of course, was Jewish. So there you have the four quarters. Muslim quarter, owned by the Muslim race. Christian quarter, owned by the Catholics. The Orthodox Greek people. And the Apostolistic Armenians. And then, of course, our forefathers, spiritually anyway, and that's the Jewish quarter. Sons of David, that us born-again Christians have had the privilege of being grafted into. To you and I, when we study the four quarters of old Jerusalem, we typically think of religious differences and beliefs. But there's a great deal of politics that manage these four quarters. I am of the personal belief that it is these four groups that will set off a final world war, a war to end all wars. And that's why I watched the activity of the Muslims. I watched the activity of the international national underlining Catholics and the Greek Orthodox and Armenians. I keep my eye on the news of these groups because I believe in the end, when pressure is applied to the walls of this old Jerusalem by the Lord himself, there will be a holy war to fight. There's a lot going on in regard to mapping out the book of Revelation. God's been mapping out this book for many years. Most of the time, the proof and the warning signs are right in front of us. It has always been a mystery to me from when I was a young Christian to now being an old Christian why true self-proclaimed indwell believers have not taken the time to understand the geographic, psychological, spiritual, and political activities that surround old Jerusalem. For some of you who are new to the eschatology of the book of Revelation, The new Jerusalem is going to come out of the sky supernaturally. It is a 1,500 square mile block of a city. And it will come down over old Jerusalem. It will not touch the ground. It is too holy for that. But from this new Jerusalem is where the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ, which will be the 1,000 years of judging past, present, and there will be no future after that, but the past and present humans that walk the face of the earth. So New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem are very important cities to our Lord. We need to keep our spiritual eyes open. Characters associated with the four quadrants of war are clearly spelled out for us. God is truly an organized God. When Christ has triumphed over this battle that is soon to take place, all darkness and every form of it 
will be removed from the face of the earth. Count on it. We can have our final and complete goodbye to the old and fully embrace the new once this battle is finished. After that, we're given a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, and new nations. Everything will be new. It'll be like a perfect spring day. There are so many people that debate when the tribulation is going to take place, when the rapture is going to take place, when the 144,000 Jews get saved, when Jesus comes back for this battle. When are we ushered off to this new heaven and earth? Well, a lot of that is just simply not our business. Scripture even tells us that Jesus himself does not know the exact hour. There's some reason why the Father is keeping this close to his bosom. We have to accept that. But there are details that he has given us, clear details he has given us through the book of Revelation and the news that you'll be listening to Tonight, we need to keep our spiritual eyes and ears open because those who have ears to hear should be listening. Thank you for joining us today. Next week, we're going to be continuing on more of the details in regard to the history of the book of Revelation. We're slowly moving into a verse by verse application of the book. But first, it's very important for us to have a clear and present understanding of the history in order to accept our present so that we can gaze into the future to see what the Lord has in store for us. Until next time.